Welcome back to the Daily Tech Start, where I share my experience working at a tech startup and the lessons I learn along the way. I'm Tony, and this is episode 20. Today, I thought I'd share with you a little bit about the nightmare that is internal communication. So first things first, internal comms is hard. There's absolutely no question about it. I've worked for pan-European institutions, international corporations, pan-European companies, um, startups, SMEs, and the hardest thing in all three of these environments, and the one thing that they all had in common when I worked there was the pitfalls of internal communications and just how damaging it can be to a team and a company. Now, working at a company that had less than 100 people when I started and now growing to close to 150, I know firsthand how tricky internal communications get and just how detrimental a breakdown in internal comms is for the company. And especially the growing pains that happen when you are in that growth period, especially or exactly where we are right now. Now, the worst thing that you can do for the company is pretend like nothing has changed and continue or start becoming a mid-sized company that is still acting like a startup. There's also an element of why this matters more than ever before. The workforce demographics are changing. Um, you've got your baby boomers who are retiring. You've got your millennials who are now making up the biggest part of the workforce and who are moving on into management, leadership positions. And at the same time, we've got members of Generation Z or Generation Z for the Americans who listen, um, who are starting to come out of college and moving in and they're moving into their full first time jobs. Now, with each successive generation from the millennials onwards, they've there has been more and more, they have been more and more demanding, especially concerning the way their employees talk and listen to them. You have to understand now that, as we all know, that news travels faster and further than ever before. Now, companies that understand the need to match the external speed of that such communications to their internal process are very much ahead of the game. So I thought I'd start off this podcast with sharing six of the main ingredients that I believe are needed to ensure that communications come from the right place in a timely fashion and reach every single employee in your company. So, so in the first place, you have the need for a well-defined but a flexible and fast editing process. You need a short approval chain that goes both up and down the hierarchy. So I used to help companies like Uber, the Resident Hotel Group, Bank of America, and I used to help them think about their digital strategies and help them understand how to do social media in a way that made sense for them as a company, but also took into sort of talking, taking on the context in which they were li living, the fast pace um, that communications were spreading, and specifically what social media did um, in this environment. So when Bank of America first went to Davos in Switzerland, the process designed for approving tweets was not only long and tedious and tiring, it was completely unmanageable. And it meant that tweets were going out in matters of probably hours or 30 minutes rather than a matter of seconds. Now, this understanding or this sort of figuring out what that looked like um, was, was true for most big companies I was working with. So what we need to do now is think about that, what I need to do is think about that process that we used to put um, in play to help companies put out tweets that they were comfortable in, but also match the environment in which they were trying to communicate and do the same for the editing process inside the company. Inside the company doesn't mean just the communications, the internal communications, but that is also true for all of the external communications. Secondly, organizations need to establish a fast, an interactive and a reliable channel to reach all employees. 
So at Nation Builder, for example, we designed or designated Slack as our primary channel for communication. We barely send any internal emails. I probably think I receive maybe five internal emails a week, and that's on a very busy week. So we've we've been very, very clear that if you want news, if you want any updates, if you want to stay in touch with people, if you want to know what's happening in the company, Slack is the go-to channel of communication. So pick one, stick with them, and be extremely conscious about that's the channel you've chosen. Thirdly, over-communicate. Over-communicate so no one ever says you didn't say something, they didn't hear you say this thing, or they missed it. Getting people to understand what you say is hard in of itself. I, for one, am someone who struggles with articulating very clearly and succinctly what I want to say. This in itself is insufficient. Getting people to remember what you said is even harder, generally because there is an overflow of noise and information that comes into their, into them on a day-to-day basis. And this is also still insufficient. Getting them, getting your employees to repeat what you say when you're not around is the hardest to achieve. And yet only when that happens, can you ease up a little bit. So over-communicate everything that is crucial to the company. Fourthly, all hands or all staff meetings on a weekly basis are a great way to share important announcements, announcements that the company should know in a pretty succinct and a pretty um, rapid way. In my opinion, these all staff meetings only work um, when there's continuity. You need to make sure that it all ties in together. So when you're having an all staff meeting or an all hands meeting on a Wednesday or a Monday, make sure you tie into what was previously said the week before. Tie into how what you're sharing today is important from what you shared last week. Explain what what you're sharing today and how it's going to be important and tell people what to expect the following week. So just remind people of what you shared last week. And this ties in nicely to what I just shared with you about over communicating. It's not because you said something last week that it probably resonated with people. Fifthly, the CEO, the C-suite or the leadership team need to be present and visible. Sit in the middle of the office, walk around, um, spend the time meeting all the new people. The more you are present, the more the company is going to feel that they understand what you do, what you're doing and how you're involved within you know, the objectives of the company with you. Finally, hire great C-suite and managers or directors that you can trust so that they can talk on your behalf, so that the employee, and it's not just about you, but it's so that the employees around you don't have to wait for you to have five minutes to spare to understand what's next, what's the objectives, and are they aligned with what they're doing on the day-to-day basis. Okay, so now that we've got our few main ingredients that are needed to ensure that the information comes from the right source in a timely fashion and reaches all of the employees, let's talk about the 150 milestone. So it's a it's a somewhat well-known fact that the, the dynamics of a company within a startup or the dynamics of an SME will change pretty drastically when the employee count exceeds 150 people. I'm going to argue that you can start seeing this shift already at 120, at the 120, 130 milestone. Why 150? The Oxford University evolutionary psychology professor Robin Dunbar, that we all know from the Dunbar number, theorizes and explains that humans can only really maintain personalized relationship with 150 people. This is a pretty common fact and it's called the Dunbar number. There is no question that the dynamics of an organization change once they exceed around 150. I actually use this number a lot when I explain to prospects um, the usefulness of a dynamic CRM, for example, to help manage your volunteers, your donors, your members. 
which once your that count exceeds 150 people, you will need some kind of mechanisms or some kind of technology in place to help you engage and be proactively keep track um, of the communications with these people. Now, some companies have gone as far as keeping things below 150, so you can manage the systems by peer pressure. Whereas above 150, you do need some kind of top-down discipline-based management system. So what's interesting is, as a startup, once the staff exceeds 150 people, employees are no longer the single cohesive and culture-reinforcing unit they were during the company's earliest days. And you often see this with startups um, and SMEs as well. And it's expected and it's needed that employees become more specialised in their roles and more entrenched within their teams. So I saw this with myself when I first started at Nation Builder. As I said, there was less than 100 people. My job was pretty not really specifically designed, but it was pretty clear that the biggest objective was creating more awareness about the product and the company and the culture and the vision and the objectives for the company here in Europe, just like we've done in the US. And I was not specialized uh, in any way, shape or form. I was very much there to help with the brand awareness, to help with the marketing, to help with the sales, to help build the team. And I did all of it. What's fascinating is now that the company has grown to roughly 130, 140 people my job in and of itself is going to evolve because now we're going to go into more into needing people who are specialized in sales we're going to need people who are specialized in market in marketing and i'm seeing this in europe obviously as we're seeing this across in the us as well so i i saw this within the second year of my job um, at nation builder as i mentioned and What's, what's interesting is I've struggled with trying to figure out how to entrench myself um, in one team or another, having done that move away from being um, sort of a jack of all trades to now figuring out in what specialization, in what functional role that I need to fit in. So as I mentioned, my job was more geographical trying to look at and trying to cover all functions, whereas now as we're growing, I need to start look, figuring out what functions. So for the last two years, I would say I was much more in the sales function, even though the team was pretty small and I was still dabbling in everything else. So I've also discovered over time that this is one of the reasons that I also prefer being part of a smaller cross-functional team um, in those sort of very early um, stage startups rather than being in, a, uh, in an uber specialized role within a much wider company, which I've also done. I'm definitely a jack of, a jack of all trades um, and I have experience and expertise in business development, in sales, in marketing, but more than anything, what I love is combining all of that skill set and driving it towards one objective with a very small um, team that punches way, um, way above its weight. Now, the tech industry is absolutely full of examples of these types of communication breakdowns that happen once you get close or you pass that 150 number. Facebook is one. Um, the Facebook um, chief product officer, Chris, uh, Chris Cox, um, when he was talking about the Dunbar number, he said it's one of the magic numbers in group size. And he joined the company back in 2005 when the company had fewer than 100 employees. And he says, I've talked to so many CEOs that after they pass this number, Weird stuff starts to happen, and the weird stuff means the company needs more structure for communication and decision making. Now, Quartz Media, um, for Quartz Media, the, the employee count apparently rose above 150 in 2016, 
And with that growth, the organization has changed um, in ways that they had never anticipated. Again, once they've gone past that 150 count. HubSpot is another example. So for HubSpot, they use an in internal employee um, net promote score. And they did this, they used, sorry, they used a, an employee net promote score survey um, to realize just how badly they were communicating internally. And it took doing that net promoter score survey. So in 2009, um, when they were just apparently under 100 um, people, when they asked their employees how likely employees would be, would be to refer someone to the company, they scored a healthy 55. And interestingly, a year later with 150 employees, HubSpot's score had plummeted 23 points, and apparently all of the issues were around communication, specifically internal communications. Now, there are some key things that will change when your company gets to 150 people. So the first thing that's going to change is the need to move away from a flat management structure with limited hierarchical levels, I can never say that word, and consensus-based decision-making, and they will because these will cease to be as effective as they once were. And so a big missed opportunity is to hire and develop A-plus managers that will hopefully fill this need and feeling of being connected as a company. Your employers will also need to learn and to get used to communicating both vertically and horizontally, and this is a fascinating one. So as you grow this, obviously the flat management structure is harder and harder to achieve. And I think what employees miss when you flip over to that post 150 um, number is this understanding that you're no longer just communicating horizontally, that you absolutely, it, it's crucial to understand what the vertical communication now looks like. And number two, good employees will crave recur um, recurring feedback and strong career development. And that is an absolute given. And if you want to keep your employees, you're going to have to figure out how to give that recurring feedback in a way that is both manageable, that makes sense and that is actually useful. And you're going to have to start thinking about the career development. It's the biggest, biggest mistake that you can do in a company is not have a proper growth path or an understanding of how employees can grow within your company and what the next steps are or any other career development that you can offer to them. This is one of the reasons that I see most people leave the companies. They just don't know what the next steps within that the company is. And in a flat structure, managements have little bandwidth to provide such things. So more middle management will be needed to solve that employee retention problem. In third place, you've got information is about an ownership of what the, it's the information about, sorry, and the ownership of our strategies, our norms, our values as a company will start spreading slower and not be as clear as they were before. So you have to ensure that you've got, and this is what we talked about previously, you have to ensure that you've got weekly staff meetings, that you've got lots of documentation, lots um, of open discussions, but also make sure that you over communicate and that you're clear and that people know where to get the information that they need. And I would stress on the point of documenting as much as you can. Um, McCord, and I'm going to talk about McCord later on, um, but she advises that once a company grows beyond the 150 employee, uh, that 150 um, employee mark, it's all the more crucial that leaders um, be able to articulate a, on a pretty regular basis where they're going and what they're doing and what they're not doing. And I think this is crucial. We hear a lot, and I've seen this a lot at, at Nationville as well, being very clear and uber clear about where we're going as a company, what the objectives are, 
but very less so about what we're not going to do as a company, what we've decided to not prioritize or what we've decided to not focus on. I think that is just as important. So for employees, um, this is when the company culture and identity becomes less about being part of a single tribe of co-workers and, and hopefully more about the customers that they're ser- that, that the employees are serving. So really understanding where as a company we're going, who we're trying to serve. Um, and it's interesting because this really is a point that I felt strongly being on a very small but grow um, very small team in a very fast growing company. So I lead our European efforts and we're now a team of six people in Europe and it's safe to say that we punch uh, above our weight on a daily basis. But I have until now, and arguably it's still the case, very rarely felt the need to get approval for everything that I do or the need to sign off because I've got a really clear understanding of the business context, of our priorities, of the things that we need to focus on and the things that matter and make a difference to us. Now, there have absolutely been times where I have felt this to be less clear, where I was less sure about the priorities of the company. And these are interestingly, have al- these have always been the times at which I have second-guessed myself, um, I've craved for approval or sign off on something when I really didn't need it. Now, in fifth position, there's the need for more process, and that's pretty standard and pretty straightforward. Um, as companies grow, they add processes, and these often start... Um, you know, processes generally um, require more sign-offs for employees to get things done. And again, McCord says that it's this type of bureaucracy that's going to start killing your company. And instead, she says to think um, think, le- think about your leaders. And those leaders need to focus on sharing the business context. So including analytics on what's working and what's not, so that the staff can find the right solution themselves. So again, if you over-communicate, if you over-document, document sorry and people have the information that they believe they need they need to make well-informed and probably the right decisions so again number six we've got this idea that documentation and documenting everything is crucial um fastidious internal documentation so making information easily discoverable is the other top priority so it's not just about obviously typing everything down having uh, your, your Google Docs all over the place. It's how easy is it f- for people to find the documents that they need. Um, w- most leaders should be spending between 10 and sometimes even 30% of your time documenting calls, brainstorms, thoughts. Uh, and I do often think it's selfish not to document everything that you're doing. And again, in one of these worlds where we're, there's so many conversations happening, there's so many discussions happening in these types of companies, you can't be at everything, so you're going to need to start prioritising which meetings you go on. So even the more reason once you've got this choice and you're making those p- those decisions of where to focus your time, to be able to go back and see the other, the other conversations or the other meetings you weren't able to go to and ensure that they're well documented. Um, I still haven't figured out what is the best way in a company to make sure that your documentation is found in the most effective way. So that sounds like that should be a podcast for another day when I have figured that out. Um, And then, as we said previously, the thing that's going to change is the the channels of communication. Um, You need to be transparent. Um, There's so much noise happening of figuring out what the channels that you're going to create that make sense for that communication to come to come through. I've had a really hard time when I'm looking at, you know, 
the last three points that the need for processes, the need for documentation, the need for channels for communication. I've had a really hard time with people not willing or saying that they don't have time to put things in writing um, or saying that they don't need to put something in writing because they've got a great memory, all of which is I, I, none of those I feel are good enough reasons. Employees very rarely think about what happens when they leave. What are the process and the documentations that you've left behind so that someone who has to step into your shoes, step into your job after you, is able to pick it up, make sense of it in the most efficient way possible. So if you are thinking about, okay, I don't have any of this, um, start thinking about developing an internal communication plan. And there's a couple of questions. I'm not going to dive into this in too much detail right here. But there's a couple of questions that you can start um, to think about that definitely need answering. So, you know, can you consolidate channels or optimize the resources that you have? Um, how can you how can you best share the information across all of the departments? How can you also make sure that this information is shared both horizontally and vertically? Um, what's the fastest path to move information um, to the decision maker? And, and what's the most important information collected and shared by each department? And how is that being shared? Now, I talked about McCord. Um, I think I mentioned her twice, and, and this is where she's going to really come into play. Um, one of the companies who has, in my opinion, absolutely, and I think it's in my opinion and probably a lot of other people's opinion, um, who, who've absolutely exceeded um, at the internal communication, at creating a culture um, of keeping that startup culture, sorry, whilst growing is Netflix. Um, people find that Netflix's approach to talent and culture is compelling for a variety of reasons, but but mainly because the approach derives from just a lot of common sense. And this is where McCord comes in. Um, Reed Hastings, who's the CEO, and Patty McCord, who at the time was the chief talent officer, wrote uh, what is now a pretty famous PowerPoint deck explaining how they've shaped the culture and motivated performance at Netflix. And it's safe to say on this one, it went viral and was viewed millions and millions of times. I think five or six millions time, million of times. And, and here is why, and I've broken it down into nine reasons. Firstly, the, they, and all of this comes, and none of this is my approach, none of this is me saying this, this is, for me, some of the key lessons that we can take from Netflix, and this is derived from that PowerPoint presentation uh, that Reed Hastings and Patty McCord put together. So, number one, they said that the best thing you can do for employees, um, a perk better than foosball or free food, is hire only A players to work alongside the other A players. Excellent and motivated colleagues trumps absolutely everything else. And this starts with the hiring process. Um, And I can tell you that at Nation Builder, we have a pretty solid hiring process that for some might seem long, tedious, daunting, but this guarantees that we are hiring A players. And this is great for the existing employees because we're guaranteeing that we're bringing in other A players to sit alongside them. Number two, if you're careful to hire people who will put the company's interests first, who understand and support the desire of a high-performance workplace, 97% of your employees will do the right thing. So adult-like behaviour means talking openly about the issues with your boss, your colleagues and your subordinates, for example. So this is the idea of, again, goes back to 
how you hire and the hiring processes you have in place, but hire adults and hire people who are able and capable of putting the common, uh, putting the company first and basically using common sense. In number three, we have this idea of um, how they allocated, how Netflix allocated vacations and, and how they track track them and what they ended up doing is they, uh, they abandoned their policy for um, allotting or for giving specific vacation days and tracking them and what they did is they believed that it was more efficient to entrust employees to behave reasonably um, and for expensive entertainment gifts travel all of that type of policy um, what they said is act in, net in Netflix's best interest and I love the idea of asking employees to treat the company's money as they would treat their own I do believe that unlimited holidays is still a little dangerous because in my experience, if you can't tell people what the right amount of days they should be taking, although it does depend from one human being to another, what generally starts to happen, especially with younger employees or more junior employees, they end up not taking any holidays. Um, so you do need to make sure that leadership is also leading by example and taking holidays. And so you know that if leadership is setting that example, the employees can start mirroring this. Um, so that's my one caveat with unlimited holidays, for example. Um, also worth noting that not tracking holidays doesn't mean not telling your manager, having a plan in place for when you are away, making sure there's a handover. And again, that just goes into acting like an adult and having that common sense of what does it mean for your other employees if you're going to take a week or two or three off. And so... In number four, you've got this idea that if Netflix wanted only eight days on 18, they had to be willing to let go of people whose skills no longer fit, um, no matter how, n no longer fit the company. And this is no matter how valuable their contributions had once been at the company. So out of fairness to such people, and frankly, to help them overcome the discomfort of discharging them, the court says that Netflix really learned how to Value, how valuable it was to offer pretty rich severance packages. And interesting, this is something I have said very often, maybe maybe a little bit too often. Um, but I've asked the CEO and I've asked the C-suite at the company to please tell me if my particular skill set is no longer valuable as the company grows. Um, because when you work in a fast-pacing startup, you should absolutely, I believe anyway, that you should absolutely be okay and accept that the added value you had uh, when the company was 20, 30 people um, might not be the same value add that you have today when the company is growing past 100, 150 people. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the value add that I had in that first year, first 18 months, 24 months of the company was exponential compared to what it is today. Um, and I also believe that this is, you know, if, if you've got a skill set, no matter how much you, you love and how much that person has contributed to the company, it is a discussion worth having with the employees of, where their skill set fits in the company today. And if it doesn't having that honest conversation, I do believe that everyone will be much better off. Now, number five is this idea that years ago, apparently Netflix eliminated formal reviews. Um, traditional corporate performance reviews um, are, and this is McCord experience, are driven largely by fear of litigation. And instead, Netflix suggested that they just tell the truth. Um, and so they had this idea of casual and recurring feedback that is both solicited and given. Um, something, again, that Nation Builder is pretty good at it, but it really does demand incredible skills and dedication to get it right. Um, if you talk simply and honestly about performance on a regular basis, you can get really incredible results. And 
much better than these stupid scorings of grading someone from you know on one to five on a one to five scale. In episode eighteen, so two episodes ago, um, when I talked about Sally Korchek's um, book Own It, one of the points that came up and that was fascinating for me was this idea of casual feedback, specifically because women apparently receive far less casual feedback than their male co workers, and because women receive less of this casual yet very explicit micro feedback than men. Um, it was harder for us to understand um, and to grow into becoming better leaders. And instead, we were getting much more of this implicit feedback, like being forgotten for a meeting or left out of a discussion or being passed over for promotion. So as such, it's, re it's pretty clear that you need to hire people as well who want feedback um, and who are OK with giving and receiving feedback. And you need to teach that and implement this within the company of making sure that it's OK to demand it and it's OK to receive it. And, and also, again, um, lead by example, show what receiving and giving feedback looks like. Um, in number six, you had this idea that managers own the job of creating great teams, which I love again. Um, if you're a fast growing, changing business, in, if you're in a fast growing um, and fast changing business environment, you're probably looking at a lot of mismatches, uh, mismatches. And in that case, you need to have an honest conversation about letting some team members find a place um, for their skill set in, in another team, another environment. Um, and you also need to obviously focus on recruiting the people with the right skills. But I think the idea here is that the focus is on the, the right team. And again, this is something that Sally Korchek brought up in, in the order I brought up um, in episode 18 based on Sally Korchek's book, um, is this idea of let's stop focusing on the best man or the best woman for the job and let's start focusing on the best team for the job and what does that team look like. And in positions also, or, or the, the sort of the great things that came out of this Netflix um, presentation, they, I'm going to sort of group together points seven, eight and nine. Um, so McCord explains that it's a particular problem at startups when there's a premium um, on casualness um, and it can run very counter to the high performance ethos um, that, that leaders often want in such companies. And a startup can also be laid back and casual, but this doesn't mean that you don't turn up on time for your meetings, that you don't deliver on time or explain why you didn't deliver on time. Casual and casualness and efficiency can work hand in hand, in my experience. But this is something that you, I think, in a startup need to be very vocal about uh, and need to message this very, very clearly. Um, I saw this as well of the, the casualness of the, you know, joking around with colleagues and feeling OK to turn up to a meeting five, 10 minutes later. Um, so this needs to be super clear, I think, on day one. The second issue um, has to do with making sure employees understand the levers um, that drive a business. And this is a fascinating one for me as well, because even if you've hired people who want to perform well, you need to clearly communicate how the company makes money and what behaviours will drive its success. And this is something that I have found to be crucial and that has led to better inter-team communications. And so understanding what levers are important and useful to a company and making sure the rest of the company is absolutely 100% aware of this is going to be crucial. And I think we became at Nation Builder very, very good at this once we had uh, a solid sales team implemented and once it was pretty clear that one of the levers that we needed was hitting our, you know, our, our quarterly um, goals and quotas. The third issue tied to this whole, you know, problem at startups, which is the premium on casualness, is 
something that McCord calls the split personality startup. Um, and she said, as leaders build a company culture, they need to be aware of the subcultures that might require different management. And so this, in my experience, has been probably one of the hardest things to handle. Subcultures are bound to happen, so you've got to anticipate them. And you've also, I think, got to be okay with it. Um, and to understand how to, to handle them best is going to be key. Um, we often see subcultures emerge between, for example, the product team and the engineering team. We also see the, that subculture emerge between the engineering product team and sales team um, that are vastly different in the way they operate and the levers that they use. Um, you also see this with the different geographic teams versus HQ. Um, and so you need to ensure that there's a great streamline of communication there. Um, and so I've, I've found this and I, I know this to be true because obviously one of the key things when I joined Nation Builder three years ago was to bring across that awareness and the culture of Nation Builder um, across to Europe. I wanted to share all the achievements that they'd done and it was important that we were sharing and that we, you know, the same culture, the same ethos and the same objectives. But it was also equally important for, for HQ to understand that things are going to be slightly different here in Europe and to be okay with that subculture that emerged. So if you take away only one thing from this whole Netflix playbook, it should probably be that you should hire, you should reward, and you should tolerate only fully formed adults. Hire adults because they will help you do all of the things that we just laid out. Uh, and if you clear and if you create, sorry, a clear expectation of reasonable behaviour, most employees will happily comply. So there you have it. That's what I really wanted to share with you today. Primarily because I, I absolutely love and I urge you, if you haven't seen it, um, go check out the Netflix presentation. I believe um, that the Harvard Business Review did a great article on this as well and breaks down those key points and shares, I think, um, on that article, um, the presentation itself of McCord. Um, so if you haven't seen it uh, already or you feel like you read it a while ago, definitely check it out because it's still super relevant today. Um, and just to say, you know, every company I've been at, the biggest frustrations and the thing that people always complain about is the internal communication. And I think there's a lot that we can do better, but just know that it's something that I think every company struggles with. And we need to be okay with knowing that it's a thing that we need to solve. And that's only at that point that we'll get better at it. That was it for tonight. I'm going to take a rest. Um, it's Saturday, really late Saturday evening here. Um, in the middle of the World um, World Cup, which is fascinating. Um, and I will talk to you next week. I hope you all have a lovely weekend.